Uh, let's uh, grab our Bible and, and stand together if you're able to do so. Colossians chapter number 2. Colossians chapter 2. And we're going to look through this passage and uh, finish this message. We actually started a little over a month ago. And we got through pretty much the first point, and then that was, that was it for that night. Um, but uh, we're going to go ahead and finish this up tonight, and um, I don't think we'll be too long, uh, because it is kind of half of a message, but uh, famous last words, right? Colossians chapter 2, uh, verse number 16, and we'll read through the rest of the chapter here very quickly. Colossians two sixteen says, Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink, or in respect of an holy day, or of the new moon, or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. Let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility, and worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding the head from which all the body by joints and bands have, having nourishment, ministered and knit together, increaseth with the increase of God. Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why, as though living in the world, are ye subject to ordinances? Touch not, taste not, handle not, which are all to perish with the using, after the uh, commandments and doctrines of men, which things have indeed a show of wisdom in will worship and humility and neglecting of the body, not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. And let's pray again. Lord, thank you for the time now to look into your word, and I pray that you would help us to understand what uh, is said here in this passage, and um, help us, Lord, to heed the warnings that are uh, mentioned here, and we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I'm going to kind of just do a little review of where we were um, to bring us up to speed here, but uh, a lot of believers want the Christian life to be all positive and and just wonderful, and and, uh, and and while the Christian life is wonderful and there is a lot of positive things, uh, the truth is there are some things that we need to understand that are uh, negative and, and, and to heed some warnings and to, be, um, to, to hear that there are some things that we need to stay away from. I mean, what parent here doesn't, want, doesn't warn their children about playing near fire or being careful to look both ways before crossing the street? Warnings are part of life, and uh, such is the case here. Um, here's some uh, actual warning labels, and I went through several more of these last time. I'm just going to pick out four of them that were my favorite. Um, here's one on a uh, baby stroller. Um, remove child before folding. Um, that's a good idea. Um, okay, now I don't know who tried to fold up the stroller before taking their baby out to cause them to have to put this warning label on this stroller. I'm not sure. Uh, but another one is uh, on a hairdryer, do not use while sleeping, okay? That's really important, and uh, now I, I'm, I'm not usually tempted to do that when I'm sleeping, okay? But when I'm awake, sometimes I wish I could use a hair, 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 hair dryer, but I don't ever have a need for it. And then uh, the next one is on a can of pepper spray, may irritate eyes. Uh, well, I would hope so, right? And then the last one here is warning label on a cartridge for a laser printer, do not eat toner. And uh, now I've been hungry before, but I don't know that I've been hungry enough to eat toner. Uh, but now warning labels are important and warnings are part of life. 
And they're also part of our spiritual life. Throughout the Bible, we find several warnings. And uh, we talked about how Jesus gave some warnings. Remember, he said, beware of false prophets. He said in Matthew 10, 17, beware of men. Matthew 16, 6, he says, take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. So, yes, there are some real positive things and just some nice things, and we just smile all the time. But... Uh, but here's the deal. There are, some, there are some times we do need to heed and hear some warnings. Now, Paul had already issued a warning regarding false teachers to the church at Colossae in Colossians 2 in verse number 8. Your Bible is open to chapter 2. If you look just back to verse number 8, it says, Beware, Paul says, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain, vain deceit. Um, so now in this passage that we just read, verses 16 through 23, uh, we see three warnings that are necessary for us to take heed to if we're going to be effective in our Christian life. And the first, the first warning uh, that uh, we looked at about a month ago is number one here, let no man condemn you. And he says in verse number 16, let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of the holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days. And uh, here there's a couple areas that he said, don't let people condemn you in these areas. The first area is when it comes to diet. And there was the Old Testament dietary laws, and people were, uh, who were saved were still saying, okay, in order to be spiritual, you need to maintain these Old Testament laws and, uh, regarding diet. And those have gone away in Christ, um, not to say that all the Old Testament uh, things God has said, like, for instance, thou shalt not kill. Well, Christ came, so that's no longer a thing. <laughs> it's still a thing. Uh, we, we, we do not need to kill. That, that is something we... But when it comes to diet, though, now God has made everything clean, and uh, I'm thankful for that. So uh, we're not to let people condemn us regarding diet, but then also when it comes to days. And verse number 16 um, let no man therefore judge you in respect of an holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days. And uh, we know that our Seventh-day Adventist friends teach that in order to please God, they insist that they must keep the Sabbath day. Um, that's not something that you have to do anymore. Um, now, Romans 14 goes through quite a bit of this information, and I won't take the time to go through that again, but in verse number 17 here, he says these, the diet and the days were all there pointing to the fact that Jesus Christ was come, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. If you were here, I had a beautiful picture of my bride on her wedding day. And I had it up here, and it's in a nice frame, and it's in our bedroom. And, and I said, you know, I could, I could hug this all day long, and it's a beautiful picture of my wife. I can hug this all day long. But uh, why would I do that when my wife is right here and I can hug her? Remember, I brought her up on the platform and gave her a big hug. That was actually my favorite part of the whole sermon right there. <laughs> uh, but um, that's the thing is we can hold on to these things that were pointing to Christ, or since we have Christ, we have what all these things were pointing to. And so the idea here is we are to not let men uh, condemn us. And that's kind of where we uh, stopped last time. Uh, number, number two, let's go into this new stuff here, and that is let no man charm you. Another warning here he gives the church at Colossae is to let no man charm you. Verse number 18, 
Let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility. Beguile you. It means to charm you in order to disqualify you from a reward. It's actually an athletic term. Now, in the Bible, we learn that there are special rewards for those who are faithful to the Lord. Paul referenced this truth in 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 14, when he said, If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. Colossians 3.24, we'll look at it in more depth uh, in a few weeks, but he says this, Knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. Um, the psalmist talked about it in, 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 our, um, in Psalm 19. Uh, Moreover, by them is thy servant worn, and in keeping of the word of God, there is great reward. Uh, the writer of Hebrews talked about it in Hebrews 11.6. Without faith, it is impossible to please him, for he, is, he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. The apostle John spoke of this as well. In 2 John, in verse 8, look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. And if those weren't enough, the Lord Jesus spoke of it in Revelation 22:12. And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. So here's the deal. There will be rewards or crowns given at the judgment seat of Christ to those who follow the Lord and served him with love, and faithfulness. But we also know that those reward, the rewards can be lost. Now here in verse number 18, Paul says um, that we can be beguiled, we can be deceived, or we can be charmed away from our rewards. 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 15, Paul said this, If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so is by fire. In his letter to the church at Philadelphia, our Savior said this, Behold, I come quickly, hold fast that which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. So we have rewards, but they can be lost. And see, while our salvation is guaranteed in Christ, and that once we're saved, we're always saved. Aren't you thankful for the doctrine of the eternal security of the believer? I know I am. Um, while our salvation is guaranteed, our rewards are not. They can be lost. They can be charmed away. And uh, tonight, Paul is saying, let no man beguile you of your reward. Let no man charm you away of earning this reward. So let's look tonight from this passage how uh, these believers and us as well can be charmed away deceived or beguiled first let's look at the path how specifically were the believers there in that church being charmed or beguiled away from the reward first there was a denial of self verse 18 says let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility voluntarily voluntary humility now that at first glance sounds really good aren't Aren't we supposed to be humble? Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that it may exalt you in due time. Aren't we supposed to deny ourselves? Well, evidently, these false teachers weren't obnoxious or egotistic. They had a humility about them, but it was a false humility. And you might be thinking, wait a minute, I thought we were supposed to deny ourselves. I mean, 
Denial of self is actually a good thing. In fact, didn't the Lord himself who instructed us as his disciples, his followers, that self-denial is actually required? He said, whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. But, but here the phrase is voluntary humility. This was in reality a false humility. So if someone tried to come to us, maybe at work or uh, knock on our door or something of that nature, and they, were, they came with an arrogant and prideful demeanor, uh, we'd be put off by that. But someone expressing humility, humility and a denial of self, well, that can be a little more persuasive. And uh, in, in our day and age, we see some who are in, you know, maybe those, those, those monks who are, um, you know, have this vow of celibacy, this vow of, uh, of silence, where it's like, wow, they are denying themselves, and they're, they're humble. And, and I can really respect that. So maybe what they have to say is, is worth listening to. And, 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 and here's how some of these believers there were, were being uh, led astray. And, and, and it's hard to really know exactly how they were doing this, but um, I'm just going with what the text is saying here as best I can. So there was a denial of self, a, a humility, but it was a false humility. But then there was also the worship of spirits. In verse number 18, it says, uh, Let no man beguile of you of reward in a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels. So this false humility actually led people to worship angels or spirits rather than the Lord. According to one commentator, there, were, there are Roman Catholics. Now, I don't know that every one of them is this way, but there are Roman Catholics who say that they would not think of praying directly to God or to the Lord himself. And so their motto is, to Jesus through Mary. And, and it sounds like, oh, you're very humble. That, hey, we're not worthy to talk directly to the Lord, so we have to go through Mary. And, and boy, doesn't that sound humble? Well, the, the thing is, the Bible says in 1 Timothy 2.5, there is one God and one mediator between God and men, and that's the man Christ Jesus, not Mary. Uh, I'm thankful for Mary. She was highly favored. She's blessed among women. She had the wonderful privilege of giving birth to the Messiah, the Son of God, but she is not sinless, and nor does she need to be worshipped. And uh, But there was some worshipping of angels, and it sounded spiritual, and it sounded so good to these believers that, hey, if you really want to have an inside track to spirituality, then you need to humble yourself and deny yourself and worship spirits, worship angels. But what did that produce? Let's notice next here the product what happens when we are charmed into this type of worship and denial of self in order to be more spiritual? What's the product of that? Well, first of all, there's a maximizing of self. Uh, notice at the end of verse number 18, it says, uh, Intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. It produces a form of spiritual pride that is just as disgusting as any type of pride in the mind of God. And so what happens is in our quest to be more disciplined and to deny something for ourselves out of this desire to be spiritual through our works, we actually can think more about ourselves as a result. 
As one commentator put it, the more we try to suppress our bodies and reject some part of our selfhood, the more we are focused on ourselves. We become obsessed with what we wanted to reject. And so there ends up being this puffed up situation here when we try to do this all to like check all these boxes so that we are spiritual. Um, and that's what was happening here. And it's not, you know, legalism is, um, can be like, okay, you have to do certain things in order to uh, be saved. But then there's also the spiritual form of uh, legalism where it's like, hey, in, in order to be spiritual, you have to check all of these boxes. And, and then you impose them upon everybody else. And if you don't check all these boxes, then therefore you're not spiritual. And it's a work-based spirituality is what was going on here in the uh, church at Colossae. And what ends up happening with that is those who uh, check the boxes kind of go, well, I feel pretty good about myself. And we are, uh, in verse number 18, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. So there's a maximizing of self, but uh, even worse than that is number two here, minimizing of the Savior. The product of this type of Christianity is that it maximizes self and builds us up, but then it kind of pushes the Lord into the back, the, back, uh, the back burner. Verse number 19, when we do this, we, we're not holding the head. And notice it's a capital H there, and that's a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not holding the head from which all the body by joints and bands, having nourishment, ministered and knit together, increases with the increase of God. So if living in pride and being vainly puffed up is not bad enough, here's something worse. We minimize the Savior. We're in essence saying, the Lord Jesus, you're not enough. We're not complete in thee. We need more than you. So we need to deny self and worship spirits in order to be more spiritual. Now this ends up becoming a slap in the face to our Lord and Savior. He alone should be our source of satisfaction and sufficiency. So here we're encouraged to uh, not let any man condemn us, but then also to not let man charm you. Thirdly, as we uh, make our way through the rest of this chapter here, let no man chain you. No man chain you in verses 20 through verse 23. Verse 20 says, Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why as though living in the world are ye subject to ordinances? And so there's, uh, there were rituals and ordinances that these believers were imposing upon everybody else that were all man-made. They were not scriptural. They were not biblical. And they were saying, okay, if you really want to be spiritual, you have to do these things. And what was happening is it was chaining them down. And uh, brother, brother David... Ready to come help me? Okay, he's going to come help me with something tonight, and this might wake some people up. Okay. Okay, I guess I'll come over here. I do the best we can to see this. I have two chairs here, and we have a couple, uh, couple items that he's going to pull out. He's going to pull out a couple hand, uh, handcuffs, and he's going to chain me to these two chairs. Okay, go ahead and do that if you would, please. Okay. Wait, 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 before you do this. Okay. I, I, I'm not really under arrest, so you don't have to, like, slap it down there so it breaks my heart. Okay. So, I, okay, thank you. Okay, phew. Okay, he's chaining me to this chair. Okay, I'm chained to it. 
And uh, this doesn't feel too good. I'm going to make sure I <laughs> listen to the lesson, the message I preached this morning about obeying the laws and paying my taxes because I don't actually want to, have to go through this. Okay, so I'm chained to these chairs. And this is not a pleasant feeling, I'm telling you right now. Anybody want to switch places with me right now? No? Okay. Sammy does. He thinks this is kind of cool. Okay. So I'm chained to these chairs, and it's like if I go anywhere, I, I have these, and it's, it's a real burden. Okay, but let me see if I can take these back over to my notes here. Okay. Verse number 20 says, Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world. Okay. So what he's saying here is in Christ we have been, we have been crucified, and my wrists are hurting right now. Um, he said, why are you allowing yourself to be chained to these rudiments, to these rituals, to these ordinances? They have no saving value. Um, they, they don't even necessarily mean that you're spiritual. In fact, they don't. So you need to just realize that you have been set free. Okay. Now, when I believed on Christ when I was 12 years old was the day that I was set free. Jesus set me free, and he is, he is enough. And I can't even do my gestures right now with my hands. <laughs> um, so I'm kind of having to do my head. But like, he's enough. We're complete in him. We've been set free. Okay, go ahead and set me free. Please, please, <laughs> please, please, please. <laughs> yeah, he's like, oh, I was supposed to bring keys? <laughs> ah, thank you. Thank you very much. Oh, that feels so much better. I've been freed. Yeah, and right there. Yes, sir. <laughs> Yes, sir. Thank you. I'm really glad these keys work. <laughs> there it goes. Oh, man, that feels good. Okay, I've been set free. But you want to know what was happening? In the church, you can be seated, Brother David. In the, in the church there, and, and I don't need to see those handcuffs ever again. <laughs> what was happening there in the church at Colossae was they've been set free but you know what they were doing? They were still holding on to those rudiments. And I'm really glad that I've been set free from those handcuffs and I don't have to hold on to this chair, these chairs anymore. But what the Christians were doing there is they were holding on. They were letting people chain them to rudiments that had no scriptural bearing. And you say, well, I don't really have a problem with that. There's another area in which sometimes we chain ourselves to not maybe rituals and ordinances, which, by the way, according to verse number 14, have been nailed to his cross. What happens is we allow ourselves to hold on to, maybe not rituals, maybe not ordinances like that, but we hold on to sin. In Romans chapter 6, it says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein. So what's happening to the church at Colossae is they were holding on to rituals and ordinances and um, all these rules and regulations imposed upon by certain individuals within that church or false teachers. But you know what? In the church at Rome, they didn't have a problem with that. They were holding on to sin. And so tonight, if you've been set free, let go of both. You don't have to hold on to either one. In fact, you shouldn't. And I, I'm thankful that I have been set free. And, and I'm telling you, when I was chained to these things, it was an uncomfortable 
uh, feeling. Even though I knew that, or I was really hoping that he would let me out <laughs> when I gave him the cue. Um, but here's the deal. For those of us who are believers, we have been set free. And yet sometimes we live as though we haven't been. Because we are still chained to the old things of life. The things that we were chained to before we became a believer. I'm going to share a story that I've shared with you a some time ago. It's a story about a man by the name of Hiro Odno, Odna. I don't know if I'm saying his name correctly, but for 30 years, this man was stuck in a time warp known as 1944. The rest of the world continued to change around him, but this man stayed the same. When he reemerged into our modern world, he was not prepared for what he would see. Odna, of course, never did travel into space. Instead, he was lost in another form of time. He was born in the town of Canaan, Japan in 1922, and when he turned 17, he went to work for a trading company in China. Odna lived the life of any ordinary teenager. He worked all the day, all of the day, and partied all of the night at the local dance halls. Well, in May of 1942, Odna was drafted into the Japanese military right, uh, right just after the United States entered the war, the war and fighting escalated to a global scale. Well, unlike most soldiers, he attended a school that trained men for guerrilla warfare. And at a time when becoming a prisoner of war was considered by the Japanese to be a crime punishable by death, Odna was taught that this action was okay and to stay alive at all costs. On December 26, 1944, apprenticed officer Hiro Odna was sent to the small tropical island of Lubang, which is approximately 75 miles southwest of Manila in the Philippines. His orders were straightforward. He was to do anything to hamper enemy attack on the island. This included destroying the Lubang airport and the pier at the harbor. He was sent in alone, ordered not to die by his own hand, and was told to take as many years as was needed to accomplish his mission. But as the years passed by, you would think that he would want to surrender to those who were pleading for him to give up. You must understand his whole rationale. First, he was trained to treat everything with suspect. Second, it was well understood that it could take 100 years to win the war and that Japan would never surrender until every last Japanese citizen had been killed. In his mind, there were still Japanese citizens alive, so clearly the war must have been still going on. And he was prepared to die on the island. Then on February 20th, 1974, he encountered a young Japanese university dropout named Suzuki living alone in a tent. Suzuki had left Japan to travel the world and told his friends that he was going to look for Lieutenant Odna, a panda, and the abominable snowman in that order. <laughs> he found Odna, and Odna approached cautiously, and the two soon struck up a conversation that lasted many hours. The two became friends, but Nona said that he was waiting for orders from one of his commanders. Suzuki left and promised that he would, re re would return, and he did. On March 9, 1974, Odna went to an agreed-upon place and found a note that had been left by Suzuki. Along with the note, Suzuki had enclosed two photos that they had taken together, the first time that they had met along with copies of two army order orders. The next day, Odna decided to take a chance and made a two-day journey to meet up with Suzuki. His long hike paid off handsomely. Suzuki had brought along Odna's one-time superior commander, Major, and, uh, Major T, as we'll, we'll call him, 
who delivered the oral orders for Odna to surrender his sword. Hira Odna's 30-year war was now over. Now here's the thing. That war had been over for a long time, but he didn't realize it. He kept acting as if the war was still going on. He didn't know that he had been set free. He didn't know that he could surrender his sword and get back to uh, freedom and, and life as a free man. And uh, he was chained to his orders, even though really ultimately those orders were no longer valid because the war had ceased. And I'm just here to tell you tonight, if you're a believer, the war has ceased. You can let go. You have been, the, the handcuffs have come off. The Lord Jesus came in his resurrected form and said, here, let me get those handcuffs off you. You no longer have to hold on to rituals and ordinances, and you no, have to, no longer have to hold on to sin any longer. You have been set free, so stop letting men chain you back down to these things, is what Paul's saying here. And there's a lot more in this passage, and, um, but uh, we'll, we'll kind of end with that tonight. And, uh, and I just want to say this, look, we have been set free, but that is not to say that we run the opposite direction and say that we don't need to have any convictions or standards for ourselves to help us obey the principles of the Word of God. Sometimes in a message like this, we kind of go, yeah, we should never have any standards and uh, convictions in our life to help us obey the Word of God. No, we don't need to run that far. Um, having good convictions and godly standards for ourselves is healthy and right. So long as we don't make them a measuring stick for ourselves regarding spirituality or for others. Uh, we need to make sure that uh, we don't cross that line either. So with that in mind, uh, let's take heed to the warnings that uh, Paul gave here to let no man charm us. No man chain us. With that, let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for the time together tonight. Thank you for your word that gives us practical instruction uh, regarding some things that uh, maybe we're not dealing with here in America and our culture, but certainly the church at Colossae did. And uh, Lord, it shows up in different ways in our culture. So help us, Lord, to be mindful of it and to take heed to these warnings. And uh, Lord, I pray that you would help us to understand that in Christ we have been set free and we no longer have to hold on to these rituals and ordinances, but we also don't need to hold on to sin. And Lord, I think that's something that most of us struggle with a lot more. And I pray, Lord, you'd help us to uh, let sin go, to realize that we have been set free, that we have been uh, forgiven and uh, given freedom from sin, uh, that we uh, for he that is dead is freed from sin. Help us to understand that that's our condition in Christ. And uh, Lord, I pray that you'd help us tonight as we uh, think about what you want us to do with these truths. And we pray these things in Christ's name.